Welcome to tonight's episode of the Remso Martinez Experience. Before we get started, I want to go ahead and give a shout out to some of this episode's sponsors. From self-publishing to podcasting and passive income development, I offer ongoing self-development courses at Champion Pundit Academy, as well as one-on-one private consultations to take you from zero to hero in no time. Learn more at championpunditacademy.com. That's championpunditacademy.com. And are you looking for a short but laugh-out-loud reading experience that combines everything you love about life and also everything you hate about politics? Well, learn about the journey of yours truly as I venture to learn more about the wild and wacky world of libertarians, you know, the ones that your parents probably warned you about. You can grab a print or Kindle e-reader copy of my book, Stay Away from the Libertarians, today on Amazon and Barnes & Noble online. That's Stay Away from the Libertarians, available today on Amazon and Barnes & Noble online. Hey, I'm Matt Conroy, country Americana songwriter and recording artist, and you're listening to the Remso Martinez Experience. Welcome back to the Remso Martinez Experience. Hope everyone had a good Christmas. Everybody deserves, you know, a, a one day of the year where other people get them stuff. And, uh, you know, if you if you didn't have a good time with family and everything else, if you were working, if you were one of those guys, like at the movie theater, you have to go rip tickets on Christmas Day. You know, I hope you had a good one, too. I hope you had a, a warm night. And, you know, wherever you are, baby, I hope it wasn't too cold outside. <laughs> Uh, it's it's great to have you here. It's it's not a holiday without a funeral, and today we're going to be eulogizing the Weekly Standard, talking about its legacy and some of the other problems of legacy media. But it'd be boring if I did this myself. I want to go ahead and bring on the two of the whitest guys I know. First is the editor from at uh, blah 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 blah. Thank God for editing. First, 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 first is the editor, my friend. Brian Nichols at the Libertarian Republic host of the Brian Nichols Show. Brian, thank you for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me on, Remza. I really do appreciate the opportunity to introduce myself to your audience. And uh, you sound way more chipper than me. This is going to be a long one. (laughs) And we have uh, the host of the Muddy Waters of Freedom and the Writer's Block. He recently came out with his second novel, Can You Keep a Secret? Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Wright. Matt, welcome. Hey, what's going on, Renzo? Glad to be here. Glad to have you, too. So, gentlemen, uh, I'll, I'll start with Brian on this one since you seem to have more energy. That way, Matt and I can go ahead and catch up to you. Uh, last week, well, more like about a week and a half ago, um, Fred Barnes and Bill Crystal's magazine, The Weekly Standard, died after 23 years, which is weird because I found out I am older than The Weekly Standard and I have outlived <laughs> The Weekly Standard, which is a weird thing. Um, they were a neoconservative outlet that was rather known for promoting the Iraq war, plenty of policies. They loved the folks such as, uh, Marco Rubio, John McCain, the whole neoconservative like, and, Mm -hmm. um, now in this post never Trump era, they seem to have just thrown in the towel. 
Uh, with that said, a lot of the reaction has been just kind of stupid. And Brian, I- I'll be completely honest. Uh, you know, I did not love the Weekly Standard. I'm upset that people lost their job. But at the end of the day, I don't necessarily see this as, uh, you know, as a referendum of the never Trump wing of the GOP. I just think that's more of a problem with legacy media. No one buys magazines anymore. And yep. the Weekly Standard never made money. And to be completely honest, I have read two issues of the Weekly Standard my entire life. So it's not that big of a deal. They had they had some good writers. Uh, I liked a lot of the stories they wrote about Evan McMullen in 2016. I loved their uh, their sports section <laughs> that came out on Tuesdays. I mean, that, that was about it online that was that was most my interaction with the weekly standard they were they had good sports commentary that's that's all i really cared about so what's uh how do you think people have been treating them too too harshly or not harshly enough oh i mean it's it's like any death you'd like to to give a little bit of a breather afterwards and let people collect themselves and then you can you can hopefully go ahead and objectively talk about it right like Um, this is coming out right after christmas so everyone was nice to each other now they can go back to lobbing shit everywhere (laughs) that's that's pretty it's pretty accurate let's let's you know reveal what's happened today obviously with with trump saying he's pulling out of of syria um and you see the exact same folks who would be you know carrying the 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 mantle for foreign interventions um they're the same ones who are you know Defending the Weekly Standard just just earlier this week are now the ones who are, are decrying Trump for for going out of his way to pull ourselves out of of Syria and to co- wait. Quote so you're Julie te- so you're telling me? Wait a second. You're telling me that Trump killed both the Weekly Standard and ISIS at the same time? He Thanos did. He just snapped his fingers, and all, all of a sudden, the neoconservatism in America just just completely vanished. <laughs> I'll stop Max interrupting. Weeps. <laughs> That's who weeps. And, and to quote Julie Borowski, sometimes it's just good to pull out. So here we are. <laughs> so here we are. I mean, it's it's amazing to see the, the neoconservative wing of the conservative slash Republican movement take such a big hit this week. But like you said, I don't think that this is in any way, shape or form – the end of neoconservatism, the end of the never Trump movement, it's just a, a regrouping. I mean, you still have people like Marco Rubio. Um, you still have people like Ben Sass, and you still have the voices like a Max Boo or a Bill Crystal, who are still going to be out there. They're still going to be pushing and advocating for the these war hawk neoconservative principles. And the reality is that there is a great number of people, not only within the greater Republican movement who are on their side, but they're with, with this never Trump area, uh, never Trump era, there is a lot of people on the left who look at these voices of never Trump Republicanism and they empathize and sympathize with their their views because their views are anti-Trump. Their views are the opposite of what Trump is promoting. So they kind of morph into this this weird dichotomy of being leftists while also promoting neoconservative policies. I mean, one of the uh, the, the Krasenstein, Krasenstein brothers, whatever the hell they are on, I'm not on Twitter, tend to know how to pronounce their names. And <laughs> honestly, their names don't matter. But they're they're two of the biggest you know anti-Trump trolls on Twitter, and and one of them, uh, I, I you know just I found it very funny. He's like, "This is do- you're doing just what Russia wants." And it's like, when did the left like promote the idea of of being over in foreign conflicts? I mean, I remember I'm old enough to remember under George W. Bush. All the the anti-war Democrats and the anti-war left, and then they got really quiet under Obama, 
and and now it's like they've they've done a complete 180 and they're actually advocating for having american forces overseas to quote unquote keep russia in line it's like the the idea of well the, the ideas and the principles of of leftism and progressivism in america have gotten so absolutely skewed and it's all thanks to trump like if trump has done one thing right and we can walk away from the trump era whenever that ends whether it's 2020 or 2024 oh no it's he gonna will, be 2024 i fully i fully believe that <laughs> too. Let, let, let there be no confusion it's going to be 2024 <laughs> but if we walk away from this administration with one thing, it's that Trump has shown how full of shit the people on the left were when they are screaming that they were anti-war. He has, and, and not only just them, but the folks who claim to be against big government, the folks who claim to be in favor of constitutionality and conservative or even hell, some libertarian ideals of government. He has shown those people who were just doing lip service to be the complete frauds that they were, the complete opportunists that they, they were. And that's not any credit to Trump. It's just Trump is that type of person. He doesn't, he doesn't have any principles. He doesn't care. And he's made those people show that they don't care either. They just want power. And at the end of the day, if we walk away from Trump, presidency of anything it's that idea of we well, you know what here we've cleansed the entire political atmosphere we can see who's real who's not and the people who are real we need to embrace i for all of her sins alexandria ocasio cortez she's a she's a whack job her policies are horrible but she's she's real she believes what she believes same thing with bernie sanders i think he his policies are horrible they're abhorrent they're they're statist they're gross but he believes what he believes. He's not somebody who's just doing lip service to make people feel good and fuzzy inside. He actually believes this stuff. And I think we need to have more of these intense philosophical debates with, with the other side that we completely disagree with, but to actually have real conversations instead of having Hillary Clinton and Marco Rubio on stage trying to debate which neoconservative principle or policy is going to be better. Do we bomb Russia you know, next year or do we wait five years to bomb Russia? Oh, let's wait and see how uh, you know the Middle East looks. Like, no, let's actually have real – like real – Real tangible conversations, and I just I don't think that that's happened before, um, up until Trump, because Trump has he has gotten rid of this facade of everybody gets along in politics, and we we kind of saw that start to crumble away with the the Bush era ending back in 2016 with Jeb not getting the nomination, and then with just the slow you know decay of this neoconservatism throughout the past two years, so. As much as I hate to see, like you said, Remzo, people lose their jobs at Christmas time, you know what? It's it's time to have a breath of fresh air and actually discuss the the issues in a more tangible, realistic sense instead of embracing this this neoconservative war hawk mentality. Or you could be like Randall Grinch Paul and take a shit on everybody. But <laughs> moving on to uh, Matt, you know, uh, I think Brian brings up a very good point, Matt. We need to have this conversation. And as our token neocon chill, what will you miss about your loving relationship with the Weekly Standard and Bill Crystal? So I actually I'm probably the only person in the liberty movement, it seems, that's old enough to remember when the Liberty Standard started. And like I was you mean the oh, weekly there. standard? Yeah. What did I say? The Liberty Standard. The Liberty Standard. Yeah, the yeah. weekly standard. It's all I, the same, I mean, right? <laughs> you know, there, there are certain groups out there that just, you know, liberty just means anything. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, like, I remember when the weekly standard started. They were being advertised on the on uh, 6.30 a.m. up in D.C., uh, where I grew up. 
And so me being the very young neocon that I was, got a subscription, and I used to read it at a very young age because I was insane then just as I am now. And, <laughs> and you know, they're very anti-Clinton and very pro, you know, and then Bush got elected and they were very pro-Bush and, you know, very neocon. They supported the Iraq war. Many people were saying that the, uh, that the Iraq war came from their own policy ideas that they put in the Weekly Standard. Um, and as I got older and I started gaining IQ points, I guess, I don't really know how else he to You stopped licking lead paint walls, right? Right, yeah, exactly. I, I, I la, 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 la. We're going to bomb <laughs> some motherfucker. La, la, la. We're going to stay there. I stopped, yeah, exactly. I, I stopped wanting to just like randomly pick a place on a map and go, yeah, let's just go there and create democracy. I guess I hate those people today. Yeah, and I don't even know where that place <laughs> is, but fuck those guys. Um, and, but yeah, as I got older, I was just kind of like, okay, well, the subscription had long since ended because drugs were a lot more fun than magazine subscriptions. <laughs> and, um, and so I was like, and I was like, well, I'm never going to get that back now that I'm sober. And uh, but you know, like they they've always kind of all of their articles from the time that I remember reading them, they were this pompous conceitingly arrogant pseudo intelligent like they were trying to give off this uh perception of like the the back room or maybe like the library like the group of guys in a library old dudes with the handlebar mustaches and smoking jackets it's that scene it's that scene from family guy when when brian goes to brown and and or is it brown or or wherever the hell it is yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and they're you know oh, we talk like this. That's exactly. exactly what. Yes, and that's what that's kind of like the uh, that's kind of the voice that they were going for. And in today's in today's day and age, when you have even though like Ben Shapiro is pretty much a neocon, but you've got your Ben Shapiro's and your Crowders and like your Andrew Heaton's. Okay, and then, listen, I can't let you say anything about the guy that helped sell my book. Okay, cut that shit out. Okay, no, I'm no. a shill. <laughs> no, you're you're right though, and that that is a strange thing. That that is the strange thing about it. Like you know, this legacy still is there, and to say that Bill Crystal is not an influential person, uh, I think a lot of people really downgrade it because you know, I, I I publicly disagree with a lot of Ben Shapiro's foreign policy, but you know, the thing is, like the biggest thing that has bugged me about the death of the Weekly Standard is that a lot of people have been saying, oh, these guys caused the Iraq war and all this other stuff. And I, I think one that's very callous, it's like kicking someone while they're down. I think the only people that should be blamed for the war in Iraq are the people that voted for it. Secondly, I mean, I don't know why we don't apply the same standard to like Fox News and CNN when they worked with a PR firm in D.C. to fabricate uh, a lot of the testimonials regarding the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait when they got that one guy's act, uh, daughter who was an actress to pretend to be a Kuwaiti citizen who just wound up in front of a congressional hearing and she said that Saddam was sending soldiers into hospitals to kill babies and in incubators of hammers. I mean, no one's really saying that Fox News started the Gulf War and then Fox News and CNN were reporting you know, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and it just seems like they get the pass. But I think a but lot of people just have very selective that- memory when it comes to that. Well, yeah, but the only reason that nobody's saying that about Fox News right now is because they didn't go out of business. True. 
if they if they were the ones that was going out of business, everybody would you'd have the people that were lamenting it and being like, oh, this is awful for all the people that work for Fox News, and then you'd have the other people who'd be going. These people are the ones who created the uh, the Persian Gulf War. Uh, they they got George Bush elected. They got Trump elected. Like they they would be attacking for the reasons that they hate them. So since Fox News is still around, nobody's really attacking them for these things. But since the weekly since the Weekly Standard has now gone away, people are attacking it because you know kick a dead horse. I guess I don't know. Yeah, and. Uh... It's just like, you know, I did not like John McCain. When he died, I didn't really say anything about him. And, you know, I'm not even really a Bush 41 fan, but I didn't really say anything about him. Like, Bill Clinton could die tomorrow, and I'm not going to say anything negative about Bill Clinton. It's just, you know, you see a lot of people's true colors come out. And, you know, I'm all about the concept that, you know, you don't have to be a – you can be – like, this is going to sound really weird. You can be a jerk. Like, I don't think it's a sin to be a jerk, but I don't think it's acceptable to not have any class because when you're just going and attacking people, you're it's it's just it just comes off very unbecoming. And, you know, Cliff, Cliff Maloney and, you know, everyone, everyone loves him. And, uh, you know, I this is not a criticism of him, but, you know, I got a couple angry messages online because I retweeted a treat by Cliff, the president of Yale. And he was making a very disparaging comment of the Weekly Standard. And I was like, you know, doing this around Christmas is not how you spread liberty. So I don't think, like, pissing on the graves of your opponents is really going to win you any favors. It's it's only going to really just rile up the people that already agree with you, which is what everyone that you oppose already does when bad things happen to us. So we can at least, you know, behave in a way which doesn't make us just seem like children. I agree, but you also have the opposite side of that same coin of the uh, lip service care that people give whenever something like this happens. And they're like, oh, like the people who didn't like Bush 41 or didn't like John McCain when they passed, you know, oh, he was a hero. He was a national treasure whatever, blah, blah, blah. Last week you were saying you couldn't wait for his tumor to kick in. So like hashtag karma cancer was like a real thing. Right. And I may have laughed at that until he actually died, and then I felt kind of like a shitty person. Right. And I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing at it again. <laughs> I mean, so if, if I can, like, I think one thing that's really important for us to acknowledge, though, is that it's, while it's important to be classy, like, we still have to, we, I think we have a responsibility to stand up and be like, no, what they stood for wasn't good. And and we we shouldn't be celebrating what they were because I mean let's just let's be real right like if if tomorrow um, I mean let's let's just acknowledge the elephant in the room at some point in the near future the the great Ron Paul is going to pass away it's going to happen and when he does do you think that they're going to give Ron shut Paul your whore mouth I I know. <laughs> I know but like do we really think that they're going to give Ron Paul the the just fawning oh, eulogy oh, like no. they, they did with John McCain yeah. and George oh, no. H. Bush. Of course not. They're 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 gonna you know they're not gonna call John McCain or uh, Ron Paul a maverick like they called John McCain even when like Ron Paul was easily the most hated member of the GOP in in 2008 and 2012 because he was standing up to the establishment saying no, no what what we're doing is wrong and what we've been doing has been causing a lot more problems than it has been good like they're not gonna eulogize him the same way and I I think we have to remember that while we can be classy. 
we can still point out what they were promoting was wrong. And I think it's actually our responsibility to actually do that. Brian, you actually wrote uh, a pretty controversial article telling people to stop attacking, uh, you know, AOC. And, uh, you know, that's my that's my father's favorite person because he likes to wake up every morning and find a reason to hate her. And, uh, you know, honestly, like I think people give her too much credit because like she was nobody until conservative media tried to make her into like the next bin Laden. And yep. then, I mean, she she won against a very unpo- unpopular incumbent. She was in like a D plus 12 district in New York. And like she was just there was no way she was not going to win. It's like the planets aligned for this person. And suddenly that's that's just how the odds went in her favor. So I think a lot of people give her too much credit. She's not that powerful. She's not that influential. Uh, She hasn't even sworn in yet, but she had to take she had to take like a mental health break. I, I would actually take issue there, though. I, I think she is influential. I think that's one area where a lot of libertarians, and conservatives are, are, you know, kind of are, they're turning a blind eye. She has a following of people that it goes beyond the, the, the political chamber that we're used to, like the political. I mean, so does Taylor Swift, but she didn't necessarily help the chick that she endorsed in Tennessee. And I think oh, it's no, a she, lot of the she same. Endorsed, she endorsed a guy, didn't she? Oh yeah, she did endorse a guy. And she, she endorsed the guy, but yeah, like, she went against Marsha Blackburn. Yeah, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. She is she is she could easily be like in ten fifteen years the the senior senator from New York replacing Chuck Schumer, and I could easily see her try to run for president in like ten fifteen years when she's old enough. And I think we have to acknowledge that like while Taylor Swift, yeah, she she has a following and she wasn't able to mobilize. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, not only did she mobilize her group within her own core, yes, very progressive district, she unseated a 10-term congressman who was like the third, I think, third-ranked congressman in the Democratic caucus. And and then she is is taking that platform, and she is reaching quite literally millions of people. And the only reason that she gets so much notice, like you mentioned, Remzo, is that the conservative media uses any gaffe she does to just put her on blast. And yes, it's fun for people on our side of the political aisle to laugh. But for the people on the other side of the political aisle, whenever they see a gap from her, they see themselves in her. They see someone who's not as educated in politics. They don't know that the the you know particular nuances with with the, the way government works. What have you? They don't care because she's promoting ideas and she's speaking to them as individuals saying, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help take care of you and I'm going to use government to do it. And that's where we have to say, no, no, that's where the real problem is. It's not that she makes stupid mistakes and she has these stupid gaffes. It's her ideas are dangerous and we have to promote our ideas in a better way saying, hey, listen, we want the same end goal. We want you and your family to be able to be taken care of, but we don't see government as the the means to take care of you. We want you to be able to to empower yourself, to have the ability to use your your resources around you, to use your your personal affects, to use your intelligence to better yourself and to better your family, then leave your family in a better position down the road. If we're not making that argument, and she is, she's going to win those people over, hand over fist, and they're going to be a base that's going to support her going forward. And I think we really have to have this come to Jesus moment, look ourselves in the mirror and say, like, what are we actually doing when we're putting her on blast and giving her this free airtime? And, you know, you bring up something so important, and I want what I'm about to say to lead into my next question with Matt. Um, you know, each time... Each time AOC says a gaffe or something, 
Like, that's free media. And everything you said, Brian, about how her base sees it is just right on the money. So very few people understand that. I mean, Trump, with all the negative attention he got in 2016, it's been estimated that he received over, I think it was $9 billion in free advertising. And that was a point of my article. I made that a very specific point. Yes. The the supporters of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are the foil of your average Trump supporter. When you make fun of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they see it as you making fun of them. Just as when you were going after Trump, you would have people you know, say, well, you're going after me. When you call Trump a deplorable and then you label him as and us as the basket of deplorables, then – you're you're talking to all of us. So you call Trump stupid. You call Trump, uh, you know, what a uh, 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 Russian agent, whatever you want to call him. You're calling all of us that, and that's what really builds this this polarized, strongly uh, focused base that's willing to do whatever they want, they, whatever they can do to back them up. And we're, people aren't realizing that. Matt, so I, I kind of want to pivot on this. You built up the Muddy Waters of Media with uh, Spike Cohen and Muhammad Shaker. You guys built that from scratch, and as a live stream and podcast, you guys have been able to build an audience. What you what you really do at the Muddy Waters of Freedom is you really do you know represent this new strain of alternative media with the death of the Weekly Standard, which I don't necessarily even consider conservative media. I consider it legacy media. Like, it was just one of those establishment outlets. And now what you have with, you know, the the Blaze and CRTV merger, where people just think, oh, okay, it's just conservative, boomer, conservative, central, as uh, the great leader Chris Spangle at We Are Libertarians always says. What, what role do you see alternative media playing? Because for a while it seemed to be really booming, then it kind of waned down after 2016, and now people are really starting to understand it, especially with the censorship and persecution of independent journalists and content creators. Do you see this role that you play growing, or do you see more challenges preventing you from reaching the levels you want to achieve? Honestly, I see, I see uh, we, we've experienced a ton of growth over the last, even the last few months. It's been, it's been insane. Uh, our numbers have almost quadrupled over the last few months. The numbers of people who are following us on all of our social medias have been growing. Um, we get more people who are interested in coming on the shows. We get more people who are interested, like who ask us about what's going to be going on on the shows. Um, I, I really think that the alternative media People are definitely straying away from mainstream media because you know they don't trust your Fox, they don't trust CNN, they don't trust MSNBC, they don't trust the Washington Post or the New York Times, um, they don't trust any of those. They're going to the blogs and they're going to the podcast because we're the ones that are telling the stories in kind of the most non-biased way. Um, because you're putting your bias out there, right? And that, this we're 100% is why saying yeah. what we. This is what we believe. Like, and yeah, you may you may say that we're libtards. You may say that we're uh, trumpeters. You may say that you, whatever. But at the end of the day, we know what we are, and we know what we believe, and we we uh, do the news. Uh, we report the news based on that. Exactly, and this is why, like, people get a little surprised. My two favorite journalists like ever are Hunter S. Thompson and Charlie LaDuff. And they are far from what you would consider right wingers at all. And uh, I mean, Hunter S. Thompson's uh, fear and loathing on the campaign trail 72, I think is the best political, you know, reporting and coverage in American history. And what LaDuff has done with uh, his book, Detroit and his recent book, which I'm reading right now, shit show. Like it's, 
it's gonzo journalism in its best form because people just want to know what you're seeing. Even with the bias and everything else, when you're honest, they they can pick out the facts on what's the skewed portion together. So, I mean, I think you guys are really hitting that, and I'm glad you're growing. I'd like to throw the same question to Brian. Uh, you know, with We Are Libertarians, I know that, uh, you know, the, the, main, the main editor, uh, Chris Spangle, he was censored on Facebook. You guys have seen a lot of your reach go down, and I can only imagine what things have been like at the Libertarian Republic. What have been the challenges you're facing, and what are you worried about, especially as Google and Facebook and even Twitter to a large degree – you know, it seems to be that they're pretty open about what they're doing, and they don't seem to care that people now know that they're very biased and very corrupt. I mean, we, absolutely, and, and you and I talked about it on my show, which is the Brian. Nichols I show. was you a find freaking over. Nostradamus. <laughs> and, and folks, you can find the Brian Nichols show over uh, whatever you find podcasts. Just a heads up, but uh, yeah, no. When, when Ramza, when we, you are on my show, we talked about this, where you you have these media companies who are openly going out of their way to censor and deplatform various forms of alternative media that they find quote unquote offensive and they don't tell you what the offensive language is and i mean chris chris spangle uh, from we are libertarians he's come out and he said you know i i fully anticipate we are libertarians will not be on facebook within the next two years or so. Um, he's, he's hoping he fingers crossed. He's hoping that we get to the 2020 election. Um, because Facebook has made a point to show that they're, they're going out of their way to censor these alternative voices. We saw it happen with the free thought project. We saw it happen with police, the police Remzo, We did a whole show talking about what they did with you. Um, so I'm getting PTSD just thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Please continue. Well, then the question you ask, well, what do we do? Um, I, I don't know the the answer. I think right now we're seeing um, there's been a response by by folks in the alternative media sphere where we're, we're either a going to alternative services or b we're making our own. Um, so Jordan Peterson, for example, he's making his own um, content uh, supporting, I guess, website, which would be an alternative to Patreon. After what's happened over there at Patreon. With uh, their deplatforming of a Sargon of Akkad, correct? Was it Sargon? It was Sargon, and let me let me tell you. So I um, I have a Patreon for my uh, online business, Champion Pundit Academy, and the thing I do differently from like what you would see on Udemy and uh, TeachLessons.com and stuff is I do continuing uh, self development courses and writing and podcasting and passive income. So it's more of a subscription service. And I think Patreon really, you know, satisfies what I need to do for my students. And as soon as this happened with uh, Sargon of Akkad, like I lost two students because of that. And now I have to figure out how I'm going to be able to redo and, you know, repurpose a lot of my lessons to get away from Patreon. So it's affecting yeah. political content. It's just affect. I mean, it's affecting, it's affecting online classes. I do simply because I have it on a platform, which is really starting to tick people off. And people are bringing in, they're bringing things in, in home. So, I mean, you see Jason Stapleton, he's doing all of his, his payment there on, on his own website. Uh, I mentioned Jordan Peterson doing the same thing. Uh, you see organizations like now blaze TV or which was the CRTV with their, their subscription service um, slash like you had Crowder beforehand doing the mug club, uh, the daily wire, they do the mug club. So we're seeing an ant like really it's a free market 
response to the deplatforming. And thus far, I mean, from what we've been able to see through the Daily Wire and and Blaze TV being the the two most, I guess, notable examples, is that it's working. Um, we're seeing people support these organizations with their dollars, and I think like Facebook and 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 the you know, whether it's Facebook or Google or or Twitter or whoever you want to name, I think they're a little surprised um, because. They were able to 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 really throttle the traffic to these organizations um, via via social media, but they can't throttle the traffic for people who are just willingly going to the website. I mean, then we begin to the point of okay, well, what happens to, to hosting websites? What happens to payment processing websites? Are they going to be boycotted like they were were threatened with Infowars? And it'll definitely open up a whole can of worms. And I think. You know that's that's going to be a very uh, important debate that we're going to have to have down the road because if that happens, um, then we're going to to really have to find some alternative, whether it's blockchain technology or, or something of the likes. And I, I'm just not sure where we're going to go yet. I I mean I hate to keep on going back to my show. I had Jeremy Kaufman on my show. He's a uh, the CEO of a company called Library, and it's a social media company that is entirely based on blockchain technology. So. Um, a creator or or someone of the sorts posts something on on library. It's there. Um, it can be interacted with, but can never be you know removed by the the, the parent company of library. Um, just per the the manner in which the the technology works. So maybe that's the alternative. Maybe that will be a company that will pick up and take off and fill the void that's inevitably going to be left by one of these. Um, you know, major social media companies that I think we're seeing die right before our very eyes. And I'm I'm glad you brought up Library and a big a big platform that I'm a big supporter of is Minds.com. Uh, Minds is another blockchain-based social media company. And folks, you can go ahead and follow me on Minds.com at Remser Republic. Minds is great. You could purchase uh, points using Ethereum. You could use it to boost your view. So one point is one view. So you're guaranteed that from just a marketing angle. Whereas I've spent hundreds of dollars on Facebook and I never got really a good return on that. But going back to the weekly standard, uh, Matt, you know, you're the only one of the folks on the panel tonight who's actually read the weekly standard. In terms of free speech, in terms of a free market, uh, you know, acceptance of the good, the bad, and the ugly, do you think long term we're better off or worse because a controversial voice, whether you loved it or you hated it, such as the Weekly Standard, is no longer among us? Well, I mean, the way that I look at it is kind of it's a free market situation on why they're not here anymore. The, the the subscriber base was dwindling because people are leaning further and further away from neoconservatism. More people are kind of leaning toward that libertarian conservative mindset. So there, there was no need for it anymore. And with the uh, Washington Examiner, uh, with the Washington Examiner growing in popularity uh, and wanting to kind of grow. Media DC, which owned both of them, probably just kind of looked at it and said, okay, well, let's just get rid of the Weekly Standard and push everything into Washington Examiner. Yeah, and the, the weird thing, and I, I forgot who meant – oh, you, you mentioned this towards the beginning of the show, Matt. It was this hoity-toity, you know – cigar smoke filled rooms mentality right. that they brought up you know i i really 
am not a fan of people that boast about being libertarian or conservative intellectuals. And I really do understand, you know, really your blue collar Trump voter mentality that went up against National Review, that went up against a lot of these other people like George Will. And I respect, uh, you know, National Review and George Will, but I don't think they understand why why people got angry and when they saw that people were getting angry at them you know the common response was well they're angry because they're stupid and sadly that's not much of an exaggeration that's how a lot of people responded i actually don't follow david french on twitter anymore because david french and i mean the guy the guy got a lot of crap in 2016 i talk about it in my book in the chapter on the alt-right like i feel bad for david french and his family i feel i you know i pray for them and their safety but david french needs to cool off twitter and stop getting into fights with people because he's not benefiting from it at all and what he needs to understand is that, yeah, he's a writer. I'm a writer. Matt's a writer. Brian, you're a writer. Like, if you insult your audience and then you go to war with your readers, like, they're going to turn on you. And you're not that special mm-hmm. in the market. Like, writers, bloggers, he, I mean, he, it's just the truth. You're not that special. You live and die based off eyeballs. And, you know, the Weekly Standard to a large degree, like I loved the thing I will say is I did love the the political cartoons, the caricatures that were on their covers. I will say that I loved looking oh, at their great. covers. Yeah. Uh, my favorite was of Chris Christie, where they called him the the new face of the GOP. And Chris Christie just looks like, you know, King Kong. It was hilarious. <laughs> so, I mean, they made fun of everybody. Um, you know, uh, the dude from the White House brief at the Blaze TV, like he did this whole thing, just crapping on the Weekly Standard saying, oh, they attack Trump supporters and everything. Well, obviously, he either didn't do much actual investigating or he never read the Weekly Standard or he was just being fed talking points because they attacked everybody. That's just the thing. Like you knew where they stood on things and they attacked everybody pretty openly in their in their political cartoon. So he was offended about this one where it showed a, a guy that looks like a redneck. And it's like I can find a lot of things where they're making fun of Obama and other people. Like you, yep. you, you can just kind of get over it, but I'm, I'm rambling. But I, I really do think that it does say one thing about the current state of affairs. And this is why, like, you know, when when um, when Steve Bannon goes on the radio and says he thought that at one point Steve, uh, Michael Avenetti could be the uh, Democratic presidential nominee, like I took him seriously. I actually really did because gone are the days where people look at people and this is like Steve Forbes like you know Steve Forbes was never going to win because people felt like Steve Forbes was an elitist they said the same thing about Mitt Romney and John Huntsman they said the same thing about Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio like I think America if it's one thing it's united on this it's anti-elitism yeah and, and I think if I, if I can go back to the point you made earlier about um, the, the the weekly standard being like quote unquote never Trump um, or anti-Trump, I, I think it's more beyond just them being anti-Trump, the person. It's anti-Trump what he represents. I mean, think back to the the GOP debates there in 2015. There was two people on stage who were really speaking non-interventionalism as Rand Paul and Donald Trump. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. I went after Trump like nobody's business back during the, uh, the primaries because I wanted to see Rand Paul win. And I thought – Trump was going to do a horrible disservice to the brand that is Republicanism. And I think that's still, you know, the, the jury's out on that. But Trump was one of the few voices who was actually staying this neoconservative, uh, you know, mentality we've had over the past 20, 
to well, I say really 20 years with with George H.W. Bush um, starting it off really in, in the thick of things. But you have him going on stage, going after Jeb Bush and then going after George W. Bush. And I think that was really the the beginning of this never Trump anti-Trump sentiment within the, the greater weekly standard. And it was based entirely on on his not wanting this interventionist policy anymore. And we're seeing again today with Trump pulling out of Syria, like like we mentioned earlier, where it's the same voices from the, the weekly standard ilk who are going after Trump's decision. And it, it's all based on this non-interventionalist approach. And I mean, I think for that, Trump absolutely deserves to be to be lauded. Um, what he's doing is is tough when you have so many voices who have been so established for for decades now basically having to sit in the sidelines and watch you know the, the backup player come in and start shooting threes. They don't know what to do and they feel like they've been replaced. Matt, any thoughts? No, uh, Brian pretty much. I mean, Brian pretty much covered all of it. Like the. The whole Never Trump movement, you had like uh, Sean Hannity as a good example of this. He he was a Never Trumper. He was a Never Trumper in 2016, and then Trump won, and then he said, okay, well, I'm going to just kind of get on board with this. And now he basically loves the man. And like his ratings have been going up at Fox. I think he's the, he might be the number one or number two show on Fox right now. Um, and the Weekly Standard never actually – the Weekly Standard never actually uh, admitting to that and always saying that whatever Trump did was bad just ended up hurting them more and more. So failure to like at least say when he did something right ended up hurting them more than just saying, no, we hate everything that this man does. Objectivity. It's so – it's so desired and craved in our society. Like people want to see objectivity. They look at CNN and if you're on the right, all you see is just this leftist anti-Trump bias. And if people go to Fox News, all they see is this Trump humping conservative bias. Right. People, just, people just want to get information and feel like, OK, I just learned something without being uh, without trying to have some narrative forced down my throat. Like people want that. And like whenever I do articles over at the Libertarian Republic and, and like when Austin Peterson, um, you know, we have our, our various writers and we're presenting a new story. If we're going to present a new story and we're going to give our bias, we'll say this is our bias. But here's the facts. Here's what actually happened. And I think there's going to be I'm not sure how it's going to approach yet. I'm very curious to see how this is going to transpire in the next you know, five to ten years. But I think there's going to be a news organization that is not around right now. That's going to fill in a void, be it on mainstream uh, mainstream outlets or through some channel online that is going to be a real objective alternative to what we are seeing with our mainstream media on television and then the the polarized news or organizations online right now with, uh, you know, the conservative and liberal uh, medias, respectively. I, like, that's going to happen. I'm like 95 percent confident of it. I'm just curious to see where it's going to come from or who's going to be the one to to really be the the kickstart that gets this going. Is it going to be someone like a Jordan Peterson or a Joe Rogan? Probably not because they're a little more stigmatized with their their views. I don't know the answer, honestly, but I'm really excited to see if and when that does happen, because it's something that people are just going crazy for. Almost like that local newspaper feel like 
you just read the newspaper and you're like, okay, here's what happened in in the the city council meeting today. I got the information. I got the exact quotes. Move on to the next section. People want that. It's not in America right now. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. We've had a great conversation, but I do have one last question for each of you. I'm going to go ahead and start off with Matt. Matt, just gut reaction. Who's the next outlet to die? Um, man, I want to say CNN, but that's not going to happen because they've got a contract. Way too optimistic. Yeah, I was going to say because I mean, like some things just refuse to die. (laughs) I mean, their contract with the airport makes it so that that's never going to happen. Um, God, that is a hard question. Uh, I would probably say. New York Times, I could see being next. I, to I was actually going to say New York Times next. Yeah, I, I, I could see them being next. I don't think Carlos Slim has enough money to actually save them, and they've been yeah. worried about dying since 2006. So I would agree with you on the New York Times, Brian. So I'm torn because it's either going to be a a physical, like you were mentioning, a, a physical paper entity, or it's going to be. It could be. It could be. It could be both. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I think the New York Times. If, if we're going from a true like you know newspaper, that probably is the most realistic one. Um, but from like an, an actual polarized uh, landscape, I think Slate. I, I, I think Slate has who owns gotten, Slate. I forget. Um, some wacko leftist organization, but I think I think Slate has gotten far too into the weeds. Of this this intersectionality, hyperpartisan leftism that even some of their their members in the left are starting to leave them. Like, I'll give you an anecdote. One of my really really good buddies, he he's always been you know moderate to left leaning, and he used to try to read uh, stuff from from both the left and the right to kind of get this balanced approach. And I love him for it. I, I I think that's a great approach to have. And he used to look at Slate as like this objective means of looking at progressive ideas. And even now he's like, what am I reading? Like, I can't have an opinion about something because I'm a white male. And he just feels so alienated. So I think that once they start to really turn off those moderate or left moderate left leaning individuals, that's going to absolutely decimate the readership. And I think they might be the next one to go. Actually, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna change my mind. So just to recap, Matt, you said New York Times, Brian, you said Slate. Here here's the answer I'm changing it to. I think it's gonna be Playboy. And, oh, I'm, yeah. and I'm not saying Ooh. that to be tongue in cheek. Like you know, two two things like Playboy actually used to have really good articles. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like they had really good articles even way back in the day. They they had people like Faulkner writing serials for them. Like they had a lot of good people writing actual stuff. And there's actually been some really good education reform commentary and criminal justice stories that have been published at Playboy. People just usually don't think of Playboy as an actual publication. Like the joke is I read it for the articles. But one, they they put up a paywall on their stuff. They're not really branching out to freelance writers. And, uh, you know, so that's that. And but also from the porn angle, like, you know, if you actually look at a Playboy magazine, it's actually pretty pretty clean and well, yeah they no said that they were going to stop doing uh they said that they were going to stop doing uh naked spreads then, and then they brought it back have no oh, did they? yeah they brought it back tasteful side boob yeah like the sports illustrated 
which never talks about sports like Sports Illustrated is racier than Playboy. That's just the thing. Playboy really has no oh, place. Oh, anymore. maybe I think I want to change my answer to ESPN. What? ESPN, dude, hey. ESPN is losing people like crazy. They have cut so many positions at ESPN. I mean, just I think it was last year or, or 2016, they cut like half of their talent because they couldn't afford it. Well, like, then they were all they, talking politics. They weren't even talking that, sports. That's that, and that's why people uh. are getting so sick and tired of 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 the uh, the political commentary in sports. They're like, well, screw this. I can go to I can go to uh, like NBA.com and get whatever's happening in the NBA. I can go to NFL.com and get all the happenings there. Like, yeah, you I, can go to Bleacher Report and get everything all at once. Yeah, but, but Bleacher Report gets really political though. Like, they they just had an article up about um the first transgender uh, sprinter. In I think Massachusetts, and it was a transgender female, um, and like she she was going against um, stereotypes and and trying to you know put a name for herself, and and they're like making so a this dude was big, faster than a lot of women, yes, <laughs> and like but it was funny because you saw the reaction from people who were Bleacher Report fans and they, they were like what is this like it's a dude running against females a, a biological male running against biological females and yes he's faster than them like that's that's how it works that's biology but like they they i think they're testing the, the waters bleacher report has been like to to see how how much they can push to get into that like intersectional little uh waiting pool right. without going full espn i, I yeah, can I mean, totally see that matt go ahead yeah, I was going to say, like, the only articles that I ever see on Bleacher Report are for the teams that I pick out. Like, I don't see any of the excess articles, and I never pay attention to the notifications because I don't care. I just kind of go through my feed of mm-hmm. my teams. So I don't ever see those extra articles. So that's why, for me, it's always been, okay, I know that for the five teams that I root for, I'm going to see all the stuff about them there, and I don't have to worry about ESPN telling me that guns are bad. Avoid Mike Freeman like the plague. That dude is oh he is he's, he's, he's awful. basically cancer. He is awful. He's, he's a, a hot pile of voice. cancer. <laughs> well, yeah, like I, I work in retail currently, and when I when I talk sports with customers, like, and I'm not even much of a sports fan. I mean, you know, people are gonna judge me on this, but I actually I think that baseball is my favorite sport. A lot of people judge baseball in the way they judge soccer, but baseball is my favorite sport. But I like to watch football every once in a while, and I I only really watch college football. I don't, I don't even watch the NFL. I just watch college games because those guys, unlike the NFL, like they actually have to try. <laughs> yeah, that's how, but that's how I am with basketball. I don't watch the NBA anymore. I stopped watching the NBA 15 yeah, years ago. I've never met that one. Yeah, I watch, I watch college basketball all day, though. It's it's so weird. So let, let's recap this last part because I think this may be the most interesting part. So, Matt <laughs> – I mean, seriously, like this is where the re- this is where we're going to come back in a couple of years. We're going to be like, wow, I can't believe this. Is, this of all outlets died before the others. So <laughs> Brian, ESPN, me, Playboy, uh, Matt, New York Times. Yeah. Wow. All righty. Well, I think this is a great place to wrap up. Uh, we'll go ahead and go down the panel for final thoughts. Brian, final thoughts on the stuff we've covered tonight. I think we're going to see Rand Paul have a real opportunity going to 2024 uh, um, to to carry forward the non-interventionalist uh, approach that Trump has done. I hope that Trump will give him his full blessing when the time comes. Uh, Rand Paul has been in Donald Trump's ear for the past uh, few years 
years, and he, we've seen a lot of Rand Paul's policies actually coming into action, which I think is a huge, huge win for libertarianism across the board. Um, I'm sick and tired of hearing libertarians say that you can't be a libertarian unless you have the big L next to your name. You can quietly, quietly shut the fuck up because that's not true. <laughs> and it, it, it pisses me off to no end. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I rarely swear in my show, um, but when I do, it's because I'm very upset about something. And I'm upset <laughs> about hearing people go off about you can't be a real libertarian unless you have the big L. Um, Justin Amash, Thomas Massey, Rand Paul, and I'll even go Mike Lee have done more for advancing libertarian policies Wal- Walter and Walter Jones. No one ever remembers Walter Jones. Oh, yeah, Walter, Walter Jones, Jones wanted yes. to impeach George Bush. <laughs> <laughs> they have done more for libertarianism as Republican elected officials than – the Libertarian Party has done in the past 40 plus years. I, I'm sick and tired of hearing you can't advance these principles and policies unless you're a libertarian. It's about principles over party. We preached that as libertarians all through 2016. And as soon as the election was over, that that entire mantra died. They went after Austin Peterson. They went after all these libertarian Republicans. I'm sick of it. I want people to to support whatever candidate, regardless of the letter after the name, whoever promotes those principles the best. Um, Rand Paul 2024, 100% on board with it. Go. Okay, so Matt, uh, Brian went all Rand's bot on us. What's your what's your final take? Um, well, just real quick, I don't think Rand's going to run in 2024, unfortunately. Um, just personal. No? We got to have you guys so. back on to fight to the death about this. <laughs> I, I don't think so. Um, but uh, personally, like with, with the death of like the weekly standard and stuff like that, it, it creates a small vacuum for other great shows like the Brian Nichols podcast or the Rimzo Republic or the Muddy Waters of Freedom for people to find out about non-interventionalist policy and, you know, being able to think correctly about stuff. Um, and it's just a good way for people to learn that they don't need basic mainstream media in order to uh, learn about what's going on in the news in a fun and usually more entertaining way than however you're getting it now. Perfect. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on tonight. We covered a lot of topic and uh, I mean a lot of different topics in less than an hour. And uh, this was a great conversation. We'll have to have both of you back on to fight to the death about Rand Paul. But until then, Brian, <laughs> if people want to follow you on social media, check out your show and all that jazz. How could they do so? Absolutely. I'm on Twitter and on Facebook at B Nichols Liberty. Uh, you can go ahead and follow the Brian Nichols show over wherever you find your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it may be. Uh, you can also go to BrianNicholsShow.com. Any questions, comments, concerns, email me at Brian at BrianNicholsShow.com. And as always, if you're interested in uh, supporting the Brian Nichols show, head over to my Patreon, which exists for now at B Nichols Liberty. Uh, or if you want to make a one-time PayPal donation, you can go ahead and uh, email me there at at the Brian Nichols show at gmail.com. So Matt, you just came out with another book, man. Congratulations. I hear it's Thank doing great. Uh, yeah. People want to check out everything. How could they do so? Uh, so if you want to check out the Muddy Waters of Freedom, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Muddy Waters of Freedom, on Instagram at Muddy Waters of Freedom, on Twitter at Muddy underscore Waters, or you can find us at uh, muddywatersoffreedom.com. If you're interested in my fiction work, uh, you can find me on the Facebook. I think it's just Matt Wright author. Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure. I haven't been there in a while, uh, but you can find it. My Twitter is MR Wright seven, nine. Perfect. And that's, 
Right is in W-R-I-G-H-D. Perfect, perfect. Well, gentlemen, thank you for coming on tonight. It's been a blast. Folks, go ahead, leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. I can promise you this. I don't have to worry about making money on this podcast because I've already outlived the weekly standards. So, you know, good, bad, and the ugly. Life's looking pretty good. We'll catch you next week, folks. Good night. Peace.